No, but do you have any friends that currently have mullets? That's the question. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are Irenacast. I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. This is Casey. And this is Rajiv. On the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, we are all still on lockdown, but we're, I don't know, I don't know if hopeful is the right word, but we're something right now, and uh, we're still having conversations, and we're still loving each other, so that's all that matters, right, everyone? (laughs) That's right. Yes. It was a little bit of a pause. I wasn't sure if you were humoring me or you really believe that. <laughs> I just thought you were going to keep talking. Oh, <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that, um, but I will keep talking. Uh, so this week, our last conversation, we were talking about uh, truth, and we're going to continue that conversation as promised, and we're going to talk specifically about moral truth, some ethics thrown in there for some spice, and then we have some uh, brand new segment called This I Believe that uh, Casey has introduced to us, and this is going to be a lot of fun, and it's kind of still in that realm of of truth, maybe personal truth, but, you know, for some people that's the same thing. Uh, so so we'll see how that goes. And just before we get into the major conversation, don't forget to check out our Facebook page because we are doing a lot more live stuff. Casey is doing his Thoughtful Thursdays where he's popping on, giving some of his thoughts about the week and letting you know what's going on with the show. And then Rajiv and I are doing a Sunday mic check, which has been a lot of fun. We're just, you know, coming on on Sunday mornings. The rest of our, our staffers or the rest of our crew here are all clergy, so they're like busy with church stuff or whatever. And uh, <laughs> Rajiv and I are just just talking, having a good time. And then every now and then we'll pop on. Alan and I did a little bit of a live uh, a couple weeks ago. So, you know, check our Facebook page because that's what we're doing right now. We're experimenting with a lot of stuff. We're using this time to connect with you, our listeners, and uh, really build our content here. So we encourage you to check that out. And there'll be information in the show notes on that as well. So, Let's get into the conversation here. So last time we talked, we talked about just the basic concept of truth, specifically around capital T truth and, uh, you know, what we've all believed about that, what we were all told about that, how that relates to our transitions into more progressive views of Christianity. And we got to a place where we could have kept talking for hours, days, perhaps. So we decided we're going to do a second part and we're going to talk about moral truth, our ethics, how we maneuver personally in the world and what truth has to do with that. So I want to start by posing the question, if my tone in this question is sarcastic, it's intended to be, without God, without the proper belief in God, how could we possibly have any kind of morality whatsoever? Isn't God the author of our morality? Discuss, please, tell me. I'm glad we're getting right to it. I thought it was going to take a while to get to that that point. I just want to get it out of the way, because honestly, like, I think it's, it's, it's where, if we don't start there, then... I don't think any of us would say that people who don't, you know, who don't have a particular religious belief that they say that they would hold to are amoral and don't have morals. Like, none of us would say that. You can be a moral person and and not have a specific religious disposition. Um, None of us would say that right now. Right. But but, but I think it is a deeper, interesting question to think, like, when we say something is morally true or not true – 
is that just in reference to what quote unquote God feels about it? Because I think for a lot of us, for most of our life, that's what determined whether something was right or wrong or true or not was that God had a preference. And so according to God's own objective, subjective preference for the world, that's what determined whether something was true or not. So I think it's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of folks who probably still function that way, regardless of where they're at on their journey. I think of uh, I think of the people who say things like, well, if it wasn't for Bible, the Bible or if it wasn't for God, I would dot, 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 you know, murder, murder, Steal. beat my wife or some crazy <laughs> ass, shit, you know, and you think and you have to think to yourself, like, that's the only thing stopping you. <laughs> right. And you're running Sunday school. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You're in charge of the men's ministry. You know, or whatever, the, the youth group. Right. Yeah. The, the thing is, I, I think there are people where that's true for them. Like, I, I really do. I think that that external force is really important and integral for some folks because maybe the environments of their formation didn't allow for some of that to get constructed. I think it's a little scary, but I would rather have people afraid of death and damnation and not murder people and batter their spouses than feel like there is no eternal consequence and then just do whatever they want. Was it the fact that they believed in that? That Okay, you, you said that. It was a really. I, can you tell me a little bit more about – you said they didn't have the opportunity to build that – and I, I'm totally with you. What What is the that there? I, I, I think we, you know, our moral and ethical frameworks get built in our development at various stages of development totally, along the way. Totally. And if those frameworks aren't there, that's what I meant by that. And did a uh, belief in eternal damnation, like, contribute to their delinquency in building that internal well, see, there, morality? There's, there's an element where when you're being formed – if that external belief or the the doom of eternal damnation is looming over you as a child, uh, then you you have a difficult time forming your own internal sense of morality. It's always based on something external uh, versus the internal construct. So it, it, I mean, there's no one right way to do this. I guess I'm just talking about it from a, a public safety. Stance <laughs> is, is, you know, if my neighbor is going to just keep his guns in his gun closet and and not go crazy because he's afraid of death and damnation, right on. I'd like to contribute to that devil, too. When I think about that question, and I appreciate the sarcasm, Jeff, I honor your sarcasm. <laughs> um, it makes me wonder what we mean by God. I would say that spirituality is maybe not the only source of moral truth or moral understanding, but it is one of the primary resources for moral truth and moral understanding. And I don't think spirituality has to include God or the Bible. And that might, you know, that's been a long road to get to a place where I could say that. But I I guess I'm like, we don't necessarily have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
that those spiritual inclinations that we have been formed with because of the religious upbringing that we've had, it might actually be useful if we continue to work with it in, you know, evolving and developing ways. I don't know if that makes sense or... You know what's great about that, Bonnie? I was like thinking, because I was looking at some of the ways this conversation was going to go when we were working on it ahead of time. And I always want to just stick in the, the theoretical realm and talk about ideas. And here you're always pulling into like the more practical, well, what does this have even have to do with our development or like real world stuff? And just thinking through, listening to you talk, I can imagine there are listeners who are really wondering like where they're at with all of this and they have all this spiritual background and, and now they maybe don't believe in the same kind of God they grew up with or don't hold to some of those things. And they're wondering how those two relate when listening to you talk. I think you're right. I think there are some resources in that, that could still inform our ethical and moral lives, at least our, our spiritual impetus. So anyway, I just, I, I don't know why I'm saying that, but I, I feel like I'm always stuck in the in the like theoretical realm, and I love being pulled into the the real living kind of space. And and I mean, really, do we want to pit, get all of our morals from the Bible? You know, I mean, like, like where do we start? Who like do we stone our children or offer them up as sacrifices? Like, like, um, uh, I, I, there's all sorts of awful things in scripture that if we were using as our moral compass would be pretty concerning. Um, and I think, so even like discernment, how do we discern what we pull from these texts? We have to have good discernment to navigate what we want to hold on to as truth, right? And it's my feeling that that was the point in the first place of collecting religious texts like this. Because to say that the Bible teaches something assumes that it's one monolithic thing when it's not. And it's supposed to create this discerning sort of process. Right. And I think that that's the, that's the silly thing about this question for me now is that there is one source for morality because I think that that's antithetical to good morality. Because if you have the one source, then as long as you can justify your actions with that one source, then really anything becomes possible. And you can enact any kind of internal ugliness on people and have it totally justified in a way that is pretty, not pretty, extremely problematic. And, you know, we're seeing it right now. Like I, I made the mistake of like looking at some news clips this morning about this whole pandemic thing. And I think that, you know, we're, we're living under leadership that is emblematic of this in some ways and their followers and all that kind of stuff. And I just think the reason that in the show notes, you know, we have our notes that we do when we have these conversations. The reason I wanted to start with this question is because honestly, I wanted to get past it because it's, I think it stifles these conversations because then we're going to, eventually we're going to start talking about, you know, Hitler and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to get into those same debates around, you know, moral truth or ethics, because I think that there's, there's much more to explore and there's much more to be excited about. And, and go back, going back to all the things that Bonnie keeps bringing us back to is that there's more that we can talk about in terms of our connection to one another if we explore beyond that question of who's our source or our authority that's giving us these things as opposed to letting that connection be fluid and be our authority in terms of how we develop our ethics and our morals. 
I think instead of source, maybe we should say resource. Ah, that's <laughs> like, good. You know, there are many resources, right, for understanding ethics and morals. And we can come to them again and again, and we do come to them again and again as we um, explore further. But yeah, so maybe this is more conversation about how do we decide what are good resources? What is that discernment process? So yeah, okay. We did it, Jeff. We talked about it. Can we move on? I still, I can't, I'm sorry. I still have, so this is just a question I want to put a pin in for forever. And if anyone can really get a good grasp on this, I'd like to, to hear from you. There are people who believe that there are moral truths out there that are independent of our feelings, our opinions, our ability to discover them. Like, slavery is always wrong. That's what someone would say. And they would say, it doesn't matter what people think or feel. It doesn't matter what the situation is. That in and of itself is wrong. And that's, like, almost something you can, like, grasp. It's it's a, it's a morally real truth, kind of like one plus one equals two or whatever. And then there are people who say that that's not true. Like, moral truth is always really developing. It's something that's done... In, you know, like I talked about in the previous episode, earnest partners working together to kind of create this, this meaning and this, and this truth. And I wonder, <laughs> like, where, where, cause if, cause if there are moral truths out there, regardless of how I feel, it calls into question the whole like subjective process. You but know? I think, I think that, that's like, the objective referent or whatever. I think that's the whole thing about which I, Bonnie, I love what you said, source versus resource. Like if we're, we're putting a binary of my, my, morality comes from my feelings and thoughts because that's where the conversation goes it doesn't matter what you feel because that's not the truth or you know objective moral truth that's the problem is that we're limiting our resources into how we determine what's happening there and we're we're put we're pitting one against the other instead of we can have we can make our decisions collectively that combine all yeah. of these things as we're going through i th- i think though like and it's not just like christians or uh spiritual people who are having these conversations um of course, everyone's spiritual. I, you know what I mean? There's not, it's not just religious people who are having these conversations, but ethicists and people who are creating public ethics and morals and stuff. Um, and I don't know if anyone's like really arrived at like a really solid answer of whether there's these moral truths that exist independent of us or whether it's all just created by us or with I, us. Does it matter? I mean, that, that's, <laughs> right. that would be the question that I would ask. Like, really, does it matter? As soon as one claims some sort of ap- absolutism, like there is this thing that's out there beyond me, what you're really saying is, I will determine what is the absolute. Because as soon as I put language to it, it's mediated through me, and I will tell you what it is. And so whether we're discovering or whether we're creating, it seems like it's kind of the wrong question to be asking. I think the question is more, how do we form an idea of what's moral and true in relationship? I agree. I agree because I agree because uh, if we're going to look at Christianity as the model for morality, uh, we don't have a really long history of doing it well, quite frankly. I cannot look to even my, my, my biblical text or my tradition to teach me what it means to be an ethical human. And so I do agree that we have to have a bigger imagination and a larger conversation in partnership with people because our tradition will fail us every time if we're looking for that to be the model for morality. Yeah, unless it's like modeling a process or something, you know, and then we're continuing that process and a part of it. 
of discernment of of like you know Jeff showed me a long time ago in the the Hebrew Bible the the wisdom the ethical and moral wisdom was really relativistic. It was like, hey, if you're in this situation, this is true. <laughs> if you're in that one, that is. Like, it's not this overarching kind of uh, metaphysical spiritual truth you just grab out of the air that we've created. Um, but I, and and I know that like you're saying that's maybe the wrong question, but I think for a lot of listeners, that's where they're stuck with their families. Is it's like, you know, people are denying that they have a part in the process of creating. Like you're you're asking whether whether we're discovering moral truth or whether we're creating it. That actually is part of the question, because if we're creating it, we have a responsibility to look internally and to actually think about what we do believe and think. And if we don't have a responsibility and it's just a matter of discovering, um, we're going to go to these other sources and completely disregard anything that's kind of going on in us, um, any kind of compass. And so, you know, when a parent talks to their, their adult child and says, you're not living according to what I think is true, it could be the case that that parent really just has abdicated their role in meaning making in ethics and morality doesn't even think about their own like they they'll they'll treat people they'll treat their own children horribly and they'll disown them and things like that because they're they believe they've discovered the objective moral truth so i think for some people at least reframing that kind of like thought is helpful to know why people are making the decisions they are so so when we talk about morality are we and I think, you know, we've mentioned it a little bit, like in terms of ethics, where do, how do we delineate between those two morality and ethics is one, the idea and one, the practice. And then if so, how does that, how do we then begin to develop that for ourselves? And then how do we encourage and guide someone to develop that in themselves without universalizing it? Yeah, it, this is such a hard conversation and it's so important because it it ultimately the responsibility lies on on us individually and in relationship to do some real work i find it helpful to have some absolutes as a way to use as a springboard like alan you you brought up slavery owning another human being to abuse their bodies abuse their labor i don't care what the context is you know we can figure out ways to work together. It, slavery never needs to happen. I think another one is rape. There's never a circumstance where rape is okay. Uh, I don't care what you you what the circumstance or environment is. It, it's it's a destruct. It's always a destructive, horrible act. You know, and then you get something to which is mostly a horrible thing like murder. You're kind of going well. You know, there's some circumstances where. And then you begin to talk about, okay, what is it in self-defense, uh, defending national borders, um, your home? Then you begin to parse through some things. It, it's troubling to me when people abdicate that. Like there was a shirt that was really popular, I think, in the 80s. And I've still seen it around sometimes at these protests with gun-wielding fools um, where it says, kill them all, let God sort it out. And that's an extreme example of, of people abdicating their responsibility and their duty to developing moral and ethical frameworks, both personally and in relationship. And, and I think, obviously, they inform each other, right? Sometimes you change how you think your, your own personal moral compass based on what the environment is telling you. And sometimes you get this inner light that speaks 
a new way of being into you and you share it with others. And they're like, yeah, we shouldn't, we probably shouldn't beat our goats that way anymore. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise those things never would have changed. Right. 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 It would have gone with whatever the norm, however destructive it might've been. Cause that's just the way we do things here. I, th- I think if there's any glimmer of hope in, in terms of the biblical text around um, the transformation of morality and ethics is recognizing that that's basically what's happening from the beginning. And by that, I mean, like starting in Genesis all the way through is people struggling with, with this, with transformation, being put in situations where their beliefs are being challenged and they're forced to change. And so if we can understand that we do walk that walk, that we are constantly being forced into situations where we have to ask those bigger questions about what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my community? And what does this mean for the world or whatever? You know, if we can find some, like, like Bonnie was saying, some navigating questions like that can help us find some absolutes, Rajiv, right? Like what are, what are the things that can lead me down this path and help me navigate um, what are some ap- absolutes for me and what am I willing to hold lightly? I think it's really important that we not be so sure of ourselves. I, I think it's okay to have temporary absolutes. I, I think that's actually essential to um, like what you're saying, Casey. Like It's a navigation process that we're embarking on when we talk about morality and ethics to Whitehead, if it's okay to bring Whitehead into the conversation, our our process theology. At this point, I'm comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you all know. <laughs> to Alfred, we, we'll see. To Alfred North Whitehead, evil. He talks about evil a little bit, um, and he says it's always mediated through time and space. And you know, Rajiv, you're saying absolute like. Slavery and rape are absolutely 100% of the time wrong. What about patriarchy? You know, we still, what about marriage? Or wage slavery. That's an exchange of property to enlarge one's household. That's what that institution is based on, um, where bodies are owned for particular purposes. So, you know, even saying the word slavery has to be qualified. Yeah, I, I, that's what I was thinking, actually, when Raji was talking, was we still consume people's bodies in a variety of ways. I, I, of course, I'm totally against slavery and think it should never happen. And yet there are subtle ways in which, in our own context, people's bodies and lives are still owned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, what about contracts and NDAs? And I mean, that's a... Right. right. Yeah. Credit cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, but I, and, and when I when I talked about slavery as an absolute, I'm talking about the uniquely American form of chattel slavery. I'm not talking about the Roman Empire's form of slavery because you could, you know, you could end up actually being a senator. So it, it's... It, it's the term slavery is very broad, but the American evil of chattel slavery is a particular and unique horrendous evil that I, I would say is wrong in any circumstance and at any time. And and then, it, you know, like you're talking about, it gets gray. And I, I have such conflicted feelings because I know communities, uh, some not, – not that I have personal relatives in, but 
similar communities where a multinational corporation comes in, builds a factory, and people, instead of working 12 hours a day in really tough outdoor circumstances, they move indoors and they're they're stitching together uh, sneakers. And, and I'm not talking about child labor. I'm talking about adults. And now there's roads, there's sanitation, people have bicycles, you know, which they never had before or scooters or motorcycles. And to our standards of of labor, it's 12 hours a day. What? That's 6 days a week. That's insane. But it it's been a shift for them. So it it's such a complicated thing. So I I mean there's there's some give and take and there's contrast, like what Bonnie was talking about. There's temporary absolutes. You know, it's funny. Like I even getting to the, to determine what is right, quote unquote, right, and how long a workday should be is such a complicated question that it almost seems to like dodge the harder questions that Jeff was bringing up. The more like real personal stuff that we're all working on at the moment. Like let's yeah, let's all discuss the the workday or let's discuss these like really big concepts that you know that they're important, but still. Uh, what I hear you, Rajiv, when you say, you know, I'm just taking slavery is wrong. It's just an absolute. What I hear is like, I'm not going to do any of the good work if I have to keep going all the way back and deconstructing some of these questions that are just not questionable for me at the moment. Like it's, it's what we talked about in our previous episode is if we kept, if we kept really reflecting on stubborn facts instead of just getting on with it, we could spend our whole life trying to deconstruct these things and lose ourselves to madness or something instead of doing some of the work. So like, Kind of setting some of that stuff aside, uh, questioning what how long a workday should be, even though they're great questions, and some of our listeners might be working on them. What about like more more like personal stuff where they're working with their family and they're working with their own life? What's right and what's wrong in terms of their their sexual ethic or uh, the the things that they hold about interacting with people of other faiths, stuff like that. Well, I think. I think kind of merging those two ideas together, I think that uh, Rajiv's example is a good example of the importance of process when we're determining our personal ethics. Because the reason that we have such a high quality of labor, it's a direct result of our immorality from slavery to child labor laws to civil rights laws. And when we enter these conversations with people about personal ethics, we always start these conversations in the here and now. Like, what do you do? Why do you do it? What is your thought on this? And as opposed to how did you come to that conclusion? Did you always believe that? Where do you, do you feel like you've reached it or do you still struggle? Like we don't acknowledge in the, even the way that we frame these conversations or our questions, we don't acknowledge process. We don't acknowledge change. We don't acknowledge the, even the presence of a temporary absolute. And I think that when we have these conversations personally, we're engaging in a deeper connection because we have to understand the process before we can really come to any kind of, we have to understand the individual process before we can come to any kind of common ground to move the conversation forward. And I think it's a good way to, you know, like, um, uh, check how, uh, what, what am I saying? Like, it, like, uh, cite your source sort of. So if I'm having a conversation with someone who's laying out what they think is truth or a fact. If I started those conversations with, how did you come to that conclusion? That, that would give me so much uh, more depth and discernment about how I respond next. Because if I ask the question and, and I get back, well, it's just an instinct. It's just what I know in my gut. 
not that we haven't heard that recently, I, I would then be able to say, well, now I know. Now I'm aware that I should not listen to a thing you say. <laughs> well, and, 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 <laughs> yeah, you're at, the, the, that's a great uh, example. And that's a great question, by the way, Casey. I, I, I really like the way you Me too. Uh, ask that question. Because one of, I, one of the problems with privileged liberalism is a failure to recognize the arc, you know, the human arc, both, you, you know, as, as an entire society, but also individually. You know, we just sort of think everybody's at the same place we are, and they should be like right now, and so behave accordingly, versus going, yeah, oh, so last year, last year in your community, X, Y, and Z was happening, and now ABC is happening to help move along. It's nowhere near what we're doing in our society, um, and and so on. And then who brought up – Bonnie, did you bring up patriarchy? Is patriarchy – so, like, that's one thing that is just so – the definition has just gotten lost because patriarchy doesn't have a moral ethical framework in its root definition. It's just a structure. What's problematic with patriarchy is it's it's embedded in concrete. It's not changing. There's no room for women to be in leadership. I think it but has it, an ethical framework. But patriarchy, what we've liberals have thrown one on it because right. patriarchy is just a heredity process of of men in leadership. You can have very benevolent, forward-thinking men in leadership. That is possible. But because male supremacy and toxic masculinity and misogyny are imbued in in the way patriarchy is carried out, it, it gets kind of lumped in. Yeah, I, I don't agree with the ethic, but the ethic being that it's good for everyone for men to be in charge or good no, for I, a whole family or whatever. I'm I'm not saying patriarchy is inherently okay. I'm just saying patriarchy right. by definition isn't You're all that it, other stuff. It isn't moral. Yeah, it's just a, a, a framework of leadership. And, and, and so, yeah, and there's so much to like talk about, but the difference between ethics and morals, something we brought up earlier in the conversation, morals being this is like my attempt to be a good person. Like there's this general, this general like guiding principles I have maybe that I want to be a good person and be a an honest conversation partner and an honest citizen, whatever person in my family. And then ethics are like the set of rules that develop around those those uh, dispositions. And I, I would take it maybe even a step further that morals are related to our spiritual or religious posture, like that dimension of ourselves. And there's something fundamental from which we develop ethics. And some folks may not, they may not have an attachment to the word like moral or morals, or morality. Ethics may be where it's at for them, and that's totally fine, too. Uh, just a quick clarifying thought around my my comment about the arc, that we're all on different arcs, both individually. That doesn't mean you have to be in relationship with someone who's at a place on their arc that is detrimental to where you are on, on your arc and your journey. It, Understanding where someone is in their process doesn't mean you have to still be in relationship with them. If I, if it's I think you made a, a really good point though, and that was that I've seen people who are more liberally minded disregard context completely, as if everybody's like these individuals who are just all have the same kind of palette 
of humanity that totally disregards history and context and things like that. So I think that that's a good point for sure. Uh, just acknowledging, um, I wanted to sort of agree with Rajiv that the, I think both um, in progressive circles and in uh, conservative circles, there's a lack of grace for people's journey. On my best days, which there are few in quarantine, <laughs> but on my best days, I, I really want to hold the space. I mean, some of you can see that through Twitter and Facebook. I've been coming, I've been getting a little like uh, angsty, but I'm like raging against the machine, I guess, you know, but uh, I find that there is, that there is no uh, grace for people and their journey. Like, and, and understanding that that arc is not that, that people are not going to be where I am because they have not had the same life experience that I've had. I, 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 I tell people sometimes like, you're only a hobbit until you're not like, if you've only ever lived in the Shire and you've only had the Shire experience, your ethic, your morality, how you understand the world, um, only goes as far as the edge of the Shire. And that doesn't mean, I, I think that if we, even when we encounter others, I think that there's this fear that we're going to lose who we are, our tradition, like that it's a slippery slope. And I, I think we can still hold that. Like for me, the one of the the prevailing moral compasses in my life has been in connection to violence, uh, even while I was amidst the evangelical world. I was a pretty staunch pacifist and still am. That hasn't changed. Like, I do not believe violence is the answer. And then it's only recently that I'm able to understand and hold space for someone that disagrees with me in that, but also still be that. For instance, I recognize the privilege in being a pacifist because yes. my my personal life has never been dictated by violence. Never. I've never been a victim of violence. I've never perpetrated violence on anyone. For me, my pacifism is a 100% philosophical choice. But as I begin listening to the stories of people of color who have been brutalized by the police, whose violence, whose, whose lives are marked by violence, then I cannot, in good moral conscience, push my pacifism on them saying violence is never the answer because I don't understand those circumstances. And all I can say is I still think nonviolence is the way, but I also recognize that my experience is limited and I may not always believe that, but I do right now. I think the reason Facebook Casey gets so messy, like you, you mentioned that in your talking about how Facebook it can be a space to hold space. Sometimes it's like hard to do that. I think the reason is individually we can hold compassionate space for everyone in their journey. Like if, uh, if you visited someone even who's in prison, who committed, I don't know, multiple murders or something, and you're just having a 30 minute conversation and visitation with them, you can listen. You're not going to have to disagree with anything they're saying. You're just there for them available as a human being. But then once they're in your community and people are actively dying, like your 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 stance to them is a little bit different. Uh, you're not just holding compassionate space, and Facebook feels like a cluster. Of fuck. <laughs> like it's your family, it's your community, it's you. It's like all this stuff kind of in this mishmash pot, and it's like how how do I respect someone's journey when that journey is is like sometimes someone's emotionally spiraling online and they're just destroying relationships and hurting other people. And like, how, 
like where that matrix works out and how my space fits in there is such an interesting question that I think all of us are struggling with. Uh, Yeah, actually, Alan, you just illuminated something that I think is really redeeming maybe about Facebook, because you're right there. You can't easily compartmentalize all of these communities and you have to figure out how to move between these communities in a way that you can live with yourself at the end of the day. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Is that your guiding ethic? Kate? So that's been my guiding ethic my whole life. And I've recently questioned it is the goal to be able to live with myself at the end of the day. Like, is that the, is that the defining thing? Cause for me in my life, I've always wanted to be a good person. Casey, I'm a two wing one or whatever. So my desire to be a good person is just, you know, massive or whatever. And then I've realized that's not always been helpful. Right. But, but yeah, that's, that's a good, that's been a guiding ethic for me, but maybe that's not the ultimate ethic that to hold to. I think that, you know, like, who are we? Are we basically good? I, I think that's part of where we begin when we have a conversation about morality and ethics. Because if we're basically good, then we just tell people, return to that goodness that's within you, and you will have the moral compass that you need. However, you know, again, Whitehead, he says all life is robbery. Well, robbery is immoral. So right from the beginning, as soon as we begin in the world, we're taking in order to live. So how do we hold all of that intention and use that as a guide to create some sort of ethical framework that enables us to call ourselves compassionate, loving, kind, altruistic, because, yeah, I think you're right, Alan. At the end of the day, that's what we want to be able to go to sleep thinking of ourselves. That as- seems like an updated original sin in a good way. This is so weird. Being like, you're, you're born into a system where you are taking. You're taking energy from other living other living things just to be a living thing. And, you know, I've let go of original sin in terms of, like, the Calvinistic sort of sense. But maybe holding on to to a little bit of humility and realizing none of us are these angelic beings who don't touch the world in any kind of way, you know, like we're all dependent in a grace filled kind of way, but we're not exempt from the system of, um, of death. Right. Like that's, that's such a thing that I have to like think about more and let it kind of inform me that. Or of hierarchy. Yeah. I was just going to say we, that it forces us, that framework forces us to contend with hierarchy and and then the goal is to to f- around the goodness alan being a good person uh is it, it that hierarchy needs to be imbued with with um benevolence and conscientiousness so h- help me understand this as best you can cuz i'm not sure i agree with this on the surface mainly because of alan's uh observation that that reeks of total depravity to me uh <laughs> and we all know my propensity against that particular idea. And maybe I think what Mine I'm getting, too. maybe what I'm getting hung up on is the word robbery, because I think that taking in of itself is not a bad thing. I think it, I think it highlights, I think the difference between taking and robbery highlights the importance of our connection with one another, because I think one insinuates that consent has been given and the other insinuates that you're violating someone's consent. Uh, and I, I mean, 
worked hard to get to a place where <laughs> I believe we are good. And, uh, and to, to think that, you know, and I understand we're, we're entering into the system and I, I get the nuance of it, but maybe, maybe it's just a personal hang up on the, the difference between taking and, and robbing. I mean, like eating, there's not one animal out there that is consented to being put to death. Yeah, but and animals I don't know any plants are... that have been con- that listen, have consented listen, to listen, being chopped down. Vegan, you listen, know what I mean? Listen, listen, hold on. You, uh, I understand your vegan tends you know, no, tendencies. No, not from a and you want to believe everyone's just... alive and we can't kill animals and all that kind of stuff. Let's. Let's let's have okay, animal let's morality in the next episode. What I'm saying. Let's, let's say this the other way around. I understand your propensity for dualism, where human beings are completely <laughs> different than the animal world. <laughs> but like, but the fact that like you're born and you take energy from other things that need energy too, right? Like that. There's that sense because they're they're absorbing energy from the universe. We're absorbing energy from. So there's at least some sort of exchange, and I don't think that it's. Uh, it, it, I think robbery is not a bad word. When I see like, you know, one animal, like a lion chase down a chase down an antelope and kill it, that there's robbery there to me in a way that's like, maybe it maybe it transcends moral and ethical values in some kind of instinctual real way. But if there are higher beings than us out there, I really hope they got their figured out because like we're still trying to work on it down Gosh, here, here and here like goes. i don't want to be the, the, anim- the slippery no, slope into serious, the twitter though. people who say we're just smoking it's weed. Not, here we go this is not this this is it's, it's totally prescient i mean that that twitter comment really got to you huh <laughs> i just thought it was great well, you know, I, I just thought it was great i think of, like all, you need to all invite of this them stuff to actually smoke weed with us when they make those comments you oh know what i mean God. <laughs> I will. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> conversation you know, for another time. There's there's so many layers to all this, and it's it's really in, incredible. Like in our neighborhood, like many neighborhoods in California, you, you get the straw the the corner strawberry stands that pop up right uh, around this time of year, and there's this kind of like, oh, these are these poor folks who are selling the strawberries and picking those strawberries. Their their labor is being um, exploited, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and and so on, um, and we should ban those in in order to make sure that all the labor practices are above board, et cetera. You know, so if we if we ban them, we're basically putting more uh, in into the hands of large corporations who don't really care about workers. And the other part of these networks of of in in California in particular, but around farm labor, this is an opportunity for many people who have gotten here by some way to make a better life. And some income is necessary to get started to, to take root. And hopefully it's not a permanent thing. But if you if you dismantle that network and the corner strawberry stands a lot of lives get hurt. And again, I'm not saying this is something to preserve as a way to keep the abuses in in perpetuity, but immigration, usually you're giving up something in order to to uh, create a new life. And, and oftentimes that starts with some struggle. Um, so, I mean, the, these layers are complicated. Can I ask a question to Bonnie? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> sure. Bonnie, could what if we said all life is an exchange? Well, because and the and the reason why I'm asking that um is you know, when I think of like uh even like the life cycle or what we know about like our interde- interdependence, you know, it's like we all like 
we all are a part of this process. And so uh, I, I'm struggling with the word robbery um, mm. mostly because I, I want to believe that we are all interconnected and that this whole thing is about a cycle, right? And so, uh, so for me, the idea that, um, that life is an exchange makes me feel a part of this thing that I don't even understand. Uh, and I think then if I could, if I could get myself to believe that all life is an exchange, then when Alan was talking about like laying his little head at night, you know, and, and hoping to be, uh, good in the world, that, that's informed by that. And then we all are left with asking ourselves, what is the question when we put our little heads down at night that we are, that we are hoping to achieve in the world? What is the exchange that I'm willing to offer? Yeah. It's not my word, you know. It's Alfred. No, I know. I, I know. Um, and well, you're, you, I want you to speak. Uh, you, you should be saying more than Alfred. <laughs> well, <Wait, I> <laughs> definitely, definitely not. But um, I do think he was trying to, you know, he's trying to make a point. He's trying to use effective language that would startle p- people a little bit. And his system, the process relational system of understanding life and the universe and the world, is not anthro. What's the word? Anthropocentric. Anthropocentric, exactly. So, if you think about the creator tending to each creative process across all living things, not just human living things or living persons then it might be correct to say that all life is robbery. Because if we weren't living like a rock, we'd just be sitting there. Would it be consuming or taking? We'd just be there. But as soon as we make that shift from inanimate, non-living to living, then consumption becomes necessary. And there's a consumption consumption happens on a hierarchical scale. And this is part of that deconstruction, the process of evolving from one faith tradition or one way of seeing the relationship between God and humans to another way of seeing the relationship between God and humans. I don't know how much of that gets deconstructed. It's just like we use different language to talk about God in humans, but how does God relate to all living things? So yeah, it's an exchange for sure. Life is an exchange. It's not that we don't contribute. We contribute to other living things all the time. We contribute to the creative advance because we are such complex beings that we have an opportunity to co-create with God in and a some, way that sometimes it doesn't feel like an advance. You know what I mean? Sometimes it no, feels right. like there's a setback when we're shooting ourselves in the foot as a species or something. But I, that 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 that, that word robbery, I agree. It shouldn't be blown by too fast. Uh, Casey, I I love your the the idea of an exchange versus robbery, and I think thinking about it both ways at the same time is really important. Um, because in one sense, like, you know, your blood's going to flow back to the ocean someday. 
It's going to. You're just a part of you're you're receiving energy and you are going to give it back whether you like it or not. And uh so my the, the question is does this exchange or this robbery between energy does it inspire in you like humility and grace and thankfulness for being a part of the process or does it inspire cynicism in you? Cuz there are some folks who would say and this is the question of the dissolute concept of truth. They're like, it's all robbery, so everybody's a robber. <laughs> you know, like everybody is evil. Everybody is on the same playing field. And again, thinking in terms of politicians who speak that way, who are like these demagogues who are like, there is no truth. You know, everybody's a liar. Everybody, there's, there is no, it's the cynical view, I think, that kind of destroys some of the best parts of what it means to be alive. And on the other side of things, to think about it in terms of humility and gratitude, there's a book called The Prophet. Khalil Gibran, I think is how you say his name. I read that last year and I like, I was like started with an audiobook in my car and I turned it off within two minutes because I was like crying and I was like, oh my God, I got to read this. I can't listen to it. I have to actually look at the book. And he talks about, it's just a beautiful book. I recommend it to everybody. It's a really quick read um, and it's really deep. And of course, it's been around forever. But uh, he talks about like, if you're going to eat meat, do it with thankfulness. And then it calls back some things to me um, from even the New Testament that's like gratitude is the sanctifying process of that exchange. And I, 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 that's a slippery slope, yes. Like, you know, taking advantage of other people and saying, well, I'm grateful for it. <laughs> like, I would argue that you can't actually be grateful if you are not paying attention to every step of the process. So maybe it's true that true gratitude is what change, changes it from robbery to exchange. Maybe. It's certainly humility because – if you think of yourself as a robber, you want to be less and less of a robber. So the choices that you make will okay, be different. Okay, so so I what I'm working on personally right now in terms of ethics in that sphere is to be a receiver. Is to recognize that the world is giving me things. That there is good every single day that I wake up and to be like I'm going to receive that. You know what I mean? Like the energy of the sun. God damn, I didn't spend I didn't take that from anyone. I didn't spend on it. It's just it's giving me this energy f- like free of any of my decisions. It's going to be there whether it, whether I want it to or not. And so just the concept of rece- being a part of the system and receiving things gracefully is something I'm working on. I mean, we receive life from from death, right? Like we we are receiving life from a a dead star. Yeah, it's it's dying, right. right? Yeah, yeah, right. A dying star. And so, uh, what do we do when we when we recognize the things around us that sacrifice for us, right? Um, and I and and I think that that's sort of like what I was trying to get at when I was asking about that. Like, I do believe that gratitude is like one of the most central forces that has the power to transform us. Period. I mean, this is a part of that cycle piece. We all have to be a part of the cycle. And what are we willing to lay when we lay our heads down at night? Uh, as we talk about truth and ethics, what what do we want to answer to? What what is that that thing that is drawing us to to respond to the world in an ethical and moral way? Hopefully, it's gratitude. <laughs> Hopefully, it's an acknowledgement that we are in exchange. Like we are in exchange. In relationship, uh, an exchange with the universe, like we are in partnership, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I've talked a lot today, but no, it's great. I'm I'm with you. 
Well, let, let's, let's wrap this particular conversation. I know we usually end with like final thoughts and all that kind of stuff, but I feel like despite our best efforts, we got into a lot of philosophical out there. And I think now we're starting to bring it back to what does this look like? I'm trying. Okay. That's it. That's great. <laughs> I think that's the one to end on. But, uh, so I'm going to ditto that in advance of what Casey, I'm trying. Um, but what does it look like in in the way that we maneuver, whether you want to share a personal anecdote for how it's looked like with one particular snapshot of your own life or ways in which you think we can look at our ethics and morality or personal truth or whatever uh, and, and, and develop that and move forward in that and hold it loosely or tightly or whatever. There's all kinds of questions. But what where are you with all of that in this conversation? Well. Let me let me try here. I, I'm going to use a, a concrete example because I think we'll get some ethereal and mystical answers later. <laughs> but, <laughs> Don't look at me when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so the industrialized food complex, we in in sort of privileged America, the United States, we poo poo industrialized food and. While I have conflicted feelings around it, I also know people aren't starving today like they used to. We as a world have somehow managed through industry, through science, through uh, care for one another, been able to actually provide the daily caloric intake needed to keep people alive. Now, nutrition is our next benchmark, so I know we're headed there. But today, like you actually see – obesity being a problem amongst the poor. Whereas, you know, you go back to the Dust Bowl pitchers and developing world pitchers, you know, people are emaciated because they're poor. Now the poor are overweight. Okay. So we, we, we made some progress and then, and then we've also recognized how we've hurt ourselves. But then the next, I, I, again, the next benchmark is, is nutrition, wellness, balance, which is a combination of what we produce as a society, how we're educated about it, and then ultimately it comes down to personal choice and what's available to you. You know, we can't all shop at Whole Foods because uh, paychecks only go so far, um, but what's available. So in, in that sense, morality, ethics, a lot of it, I, I would say the vast majority is contextual. And I think for the most part, we as, as human beings uh, and, and other animals are actually making some good progress. There's still a long way to go, but I think we're making some good progress. For, Mar- for my part, I'm going to do something <laughs> that's going to make you laugh, maybe. I'm going to read a, a really short poem I wrote in 2018 um, about this. And about letting go of my desire to be good and virtues and morals and things like that. I wrote, Oh, beloved tired soul, muscled in the places of tension, all memory filled fiber and discipline. Aim at virtue no longer, closest friend, but to love, and let the lovely marks fall wherever they will. I think I had a really huge shift in my life a couple of years ago where I stopped trying to be a good and moral person, and I started to try to ask the question, What is love? having me do like what is this love force thing in me and outside of me drawing me into and to me that's a much more interesting question on a personal level than asking whether or not i'm a good person or if what i'm doing is quote unquote right 
I love that, Alan. It reminds me of a Flannery O'Connor um, short story where the character has this vision of what happens when we die and go to heaven. And as the saints begin getting closer and closer to heaven, all their virtues disappear and they're like singing and dancing and smoking and swearing and all this <laughs> stuff um, before they're ready to actually enter those gates into heaven. So I'm, I'm going to read that short story. Yeah, so if we I, have, I have put it, it in the show notes or something. That'd be great. Yeah. I think... I have learned to let go of the idea of good and bad and instead ask myself, what is evolving me towards more love and what is devolving in relationship with everyone else's process? It makes for a much more difficult conversation with myself than I've ever had before. But there's also something freeing in letting go of the ideas of the binary between good and bad. Are humans good or evil? I don't know. I don't know. This is not my second favorite episode. <laughs> if you think you know something, ask someone their opinion. If you make assumptions about who people are, if you have judgments about what they do, ask them why they do those things or why they think that. And allow yourself, your heart, and your mind to be open to receive whatever it is that they have to offer you. Um, you know, I, Jose and I love hosting. My partner and I love hosting. And my hope is that um, anytime you are in relationship with another person, that you can host conversations, right? Set the, set the space so that you are able to receive and to give, that what you receive will often be more than what you have to offer. I think the most helpful framework for me in my evolving personal ethic is transition. Knowing what goes to the next place, knowing what stays, and knowing what evolves. And taking into account the context, right? Like, I, I always have an opinion on how the way things should be uh, in, in, in physical transformation. Like, if I'm going from one job to the other, or moving from one house to another, I, I have an opinion that this is the workflow. And it's usually based in informed by my past experience, but there's sometimes the layout won't allow it. Sometimes the structure won't allow it. So I have to be willing to give that up and understand that I'm in a new context. And I think that when I'm really evaluating my ethics in the world, I have to understand that there are certain places and rooms and spaces where maybe what I think doesn't work and be fine with that. And yeah, I mean, that's, that's all, I think that's all I can really do. I mean, that's just an elaborate way of saying I'm trying. So Casey, I, <laughs> I'm going to get a shirt that says that I'm trying. <laughs> um, so 
Let us know what you think. To add your voice to this particular conversation, you can comment in the show notes at irenacast.com slash 166. And there in the show notes, you'll also find all the relevant links and a complete list of all the other ways to like, follow, and contact the show. That's irenacast.com slash 166. And if you'd like to suggest a possible uh, future episode topic, you can email us. In the, uh, you can also email us at podcast at irenacast.com or send us your audio feedback. We still want to make sure we incorporate your voice into this, uh, into the show. So you can do that again at podcast at irenicast.com. Uh, on the other side of the music, we're going to be playing a brand new segment called this, I believe, and all ethics and morality will be thrown out the window and the Ireniverse will decide what is truth going forward. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying. All right. So let's go. other side of the music and we have a brand new segment for you uh that our very own pastor casey came up with casey explain this to us what are we going to be doing well it's going to sound kind of weird but this morning i woke up uh with rajiv on my mind um and so uh and he made a comment related to something he deep believes in deeply. And I thought, wouldn't it be funny if we, uh, you know, because we're talking about truth, if we just came out with like truth statements, like things that we believe completely. And so um, I, I think that what we're going to do is we're each going to come up with two, I believe statements. Um, and they have to be, you know, you are just so convinced that you are right about this. And then we all are going to decide whether we agree with you, right? Um, and so that's how we're going to play the game. So this is what you'll do. You'll say this, or you'll say this, I believe, and then your whatever your statement is. Okay, so um, I can go first, or if you think you have the hang of it, any of you could go. Lead by example, Casey. Go. Okay, sure. Go forth. This, I believe, mullets should never have been a fad. And we're voting on whether that's an absolute truth yes. or whether it's your opinion. Yes. That's okay. right. Thank God it was just a fad. <laughs> okay, well, show of show of uh, audio hands, uh, who had a mullet? <laughs> I did. Yeah, you did. I was just gonna say. <laughs> I think I did, I did as a little kid. I think there might be one picture. I did. I did have a mullet yeah. on purpose as a, as a child. So I'm I'm gonna admit it. I'll put it out there. Okay, so we're gonna vote on whether it's absolute truth or not. Yes. Well, let, let's so let's it. let's discuss because okay, I'm I'm curious. So you are there are many forms of the mullet. For someone who is balding on top, they're just growing out their hair. <laughs> it looks, you know, the skullet, <laughs> right? <laughs> so <laughs> are you are you defining a specific type of mullet like the I'm classic? I'm talking about like the '80s mullet where yeah, people w- thought it was really hip and cool. Small and it was atrocious. Just a small it, rebuttal, okay. and it's it's uh, Tiger King would have been infinitely more creepy. It would have been infinitely more creepy if he didn't have a mullet. <laughs> like if he if he was just a dude without a mullet doing what he was doing, you'd be like, "Wow, that guy's that guy's an ass." Like I don't I don't like. But it was so funny, and because the mullet brought in this magic. This I was magic just about to say, there. you know, this, like the Tiger King mullet, you know. This, I, it, this is like he, he would have been like that guy's a predator, but the fact he had a mullet made it more lovable. <laughs> you, you know, yeah. what kind of vortex of doom are we in right now? 
<laughs> Dude, Vince like we're talking Vince about Mc the Tiger King how and mullet. The Tiger King is Vince McMahon is on like a is helping restart the economy. The guy with uh, WWE. Oh my gosh, what a great timeline we're on. No, he's on a committee. He's not going to be helping restart any economy. He's a committee to restart the economy or whatever is what it's called. Yeah, he is. All right, Casey. So I, I'm I'm going to say that's your opinion because I think the mullets are are an amazing historical occurrence then i would like to challenge you to wear one Duh. <laughs> <laughs> yes if they I are second if they that. are so i second so important. that i think we uh photoshop jeff this is a request i i'd like to photoshop alan's face on the tiger king mullet <laughs> i second on it on it right now <laughs> And then underneath that put, I'm never going to financially recover from this. <laughs> <laughs> Best line of the whole series. <laughs> All right. Casey. Okay. Who's next? Who, who else has something to, uh... I'm going to have to agree in part. So I think that the mullet should have never been, I can't get on board with should never be again. A hundred percent agree because I do appreciate the gloriousness of the 80 mullet, like the eighties mullet. Like I like to, to revel in the fact that that was a thing, but I don't, I don't want to see it again. You know, it's like dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. I'm totally like enamored by the idea of it. And I want to see it fictional, but I don't want to see it in real life again. I'd like my life to continue as, as, as normal. So dominance of the primates. That's my caveat. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't uh, Jurassic park uh, created in the eighties, nineties. Oh, okay, never mind. I thought Jeff was just trying to relive his childhood, you know, dinosaurs and mullets. No, no, no. <laughs> so you're not picking truth or opinion, Jeff. You're just uh if if I'm taking you literally, Casey, the character. then I'm going <laughs> <laughs> And I think Jeff Jeff just revealed his the title of his autobiography, Dinosaurs and Mullets. <laughs> An odyssey. He's like, I'm not going to say it's opinion. I'm not going to say it's a truth. Now, I might, <laughs> Somewhere in the middle. you know, reconsider if we ever were able to develop dinosaurs with mullets. But unless that's a possible future, I'm, if I'm taking you literally, Casey, I'm going to have to disagree. I'm having a really hard. I'm like trying to say, is uh, am I going to respond to the fad part or the mullet part? Or I just I think it's an opinion and I think it's a very good opinion. <laughs> You are not allowed little, to be gracious right now. Like this is a little bit of sugar with that medicine. <laughs> I, I like, are bad. I, I like when I get a heads up about who a person is. <laughs> <laughs> and and the mullet is a great heads up about Literally. who a person is. Oh my god. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I get have some really good friends. Who had mullets, so you sound like such a racist, Rajiv. <laughs> I have a friend with a mullet, so I can say this. <laughs> no, but do you have any friends that currently have mullets? That's the question. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, I, you will soon when I give it a shot. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, no, not currently. Soon though. Soon. Actually, I had students and high it's huge in high school sports right now. High school baseball players all have mullets right now. It's the weirdest thing. It's yeah, there, there's a trainer at the gym that I go to that's got a mullet. There you go. You should ask him if he plays baseball. Hey, he's a young, go. he's a younger guy. Does he uh, also yeah, wears no, Zumba no, pants, and does he have a DeLorean? 
I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's, a, he's, he's, a, he is. he's a perf- perfectly nice guy. Oh, that's funny. All right, who's next? I'll, I'll jump in. This, I believe, people who willfully have pizza with broccoli are fucking assholes. <laughs> Rajiv, this again? It's, I it's a game. Disagree. People. It's a game. It's you a are, game. You are wrong. The structure matters. I'm, I don't know how many times we got to go over this, but the structure I'm matters. I'm arguing whether it's a pizza or not. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so you're just. He's taking it to the I, character I, level. I'm just saying, yeah. Well, then, f you, because no. <laughs> I agree Broccoli. with you. I agree with Rajiv. I agree. <laughs> I love how triggering the whole subject of pizza has gotten to be on our show. This is not a universal truth. Thank you, Bonnie. Voice of it's reason. It's universal. Opinion. It's universal, Rajiv. It's, it's an opinion that should be carefully examined. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it's a universal truth because Alfred North Whitehead said everybody's a asshole. So no, he did it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, he did it. Everybody's a robber. Is, all yeah. of life is terrible aesthetics. That's what it is. No, it's you know what a really funny. terrible aesthetic is broccoli on a pizza. A- amen, <laughs> amen. That is not beauty. That is but, not a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is yeah, unless you're a parent in a pandemic trying to sneak broccoli into your child's diet you know then you're just See? a bad parent <laughs> wow <laughs> damn <laughs> what about that grace casey and understanding people's journeys what the hell? if you can get your kid to eat pizza with anything but cheese and the one topping they only only want every time they want pizza then you know, <laughs> good on you. You have because, to be a little more sneaky then. Right. And if it's broccoli, then you need to watch that child closely. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. If your kid is asking for broccoli on their pizza, you need to do something about their mental state your, right now. Your, your, your culinarily, uh, your, your adventuresome spirit is gone when it comes to food. That is just like, you can't just ban you want to create a wall around your pizza. You are the Trump of pizza. Like you want to say these things are in and these things are out. Like yep. you're a hardcore pizza fundamentalist and I'm personally uh, offended and hurt. And I have so many emotions right now that, that I, I don't know if we can continue. Look, look, we, look, we all, we all have the opportunity to live in dualistic ways. <laughs> and this is a space in which I choose to acknowledge that I'm building a wall. That's right. Around pizza. Do not mess with it. I don't want Fine. I don't want broccoli. Enjoy enjoy your bland life. Pineapple. Now. I'm gonna get I'm gonna clip Potatoes. it and get a soundboard. A little thing I can press that says Casey saying, I'm building a wall. <laughs> Just like randomly <laughs> press it whenever I need to. All right. So what's the final <laughs> count? Is this a tie? Is this a deadlock? Are we having a civil war here? Because Bonnie and I are the only sane people here. And Alan, you have yet to Oh, I can't. No, I came down. I, I was saying everybody's an, an a hole. So this I, is I'm a universal. No, that's not. <laughs> yeah, you're like not. Calvinistic roots are coming up or whatever. <laughs> just, you know, just eating pizza makes you an a hole. No, probably right. right. <laughs> Do you agree or disagree? You, you're the tiebreaker okay, okay, here. Can I just say oh, Jeff didn't reveal the fact in this episode that broccoli is like one of his favorite foods. So there's a little bit. It's of one like, of my favorite vegetables. But right. I, I'm, I don't think Rajiv is saying he doesn't like broccoli. I think he's saying it. It needs to be segregated. Right. <laughs> That's what you're okay. saying. So it's a split. It's a split. Two versus two. Perfect. Split the room. Fantastic. I, w- I wonder what the Venn diagram of broccoli, broccoli lovers and mullet wearers are. 
Like how, how much of an overlap is there? <laughs> oh my god! Well, Alan will be in both was, categories. I'm going to try right? to be right in the middle. I'm going to say I'm going to I'm going to help swing that that number right there. All right, let's move on. So I can recover from this atrocity. I might do it and get fired. I won't get fired for bad theology, just for having a mullet. You'll get fired for a mullet. <laughs> Where right. you're currently um, pastoring, Alan, you'll get into different circles. That's true. It could be an evangelism tool. I did see some red hats, I'm not going to lie, for the first time <laughs> out in the wild. That was a pretty interesting experience. Uh, I'll, I'll go next, speaking of politics. This is not as fun, but I think it's true. Uh, I believe blue no matter who is part of the problem. <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of hitting home here. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not going to vote blue no matter who. I'm just saying it's part of the problem. This is where that it's like I feel like I'm getting a, a glimpse into the the child Alan, the instigator. Actually, that might be true. <laughs> like in class, I'll say something that's right. really a good place, and then teachers will yell at me for 45 minutes. That actually happened. <laughs> I would agree with you. So uh, the question is, is it an opinion? It doesn't matter. So like you may agree with my opinion, but the question is, is that an opinion or is that an objective, an objective? It, truth? it is an objective truth. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, again, I'm with you. I will vote blue no matter who, but I, um, but I think that we need, we do not have enough imagination about. Uh, yeah. So I will say it's true. You all look so uncomfortable. I'm looking at all your faces. It, you're just like you're looking around. You're like, uh-huh. I, I would say it's a it's a contextual necessity. I'm I'm with you on that, Rashi. If we we found common ground once again, we're a- applying it into the future. That's, that's not could the question. Be a problem. That's not the question. The question is right now. It is part. My statement is that blue, no matter who, is part of the problem. And it is part of the problem and the solution. Right. So you would agree. I, I agree. Just want to hear it. I agree. I just want to add a few more words. It's a to your qualified statement. agreement, right? That's how I felt too, Bonnie. But I, I was playing the game uh, as the rules required. Since I do not fully agree, then I disagree. I do not think that that is. Just you don't think it's part of the problem objectively. It's which problem are we talking but about? I, I do generally, but I can't. Like I, like Rajiv said, I think it's a contextual thing. Like right now, I think that. <laughs> It's a necessity. Like I just, cause yeah. But the problem is, is we always say that. <laughs> right. We're That's never the problem. Our tribalism. Okay. Like the problem is, the problem is now, we, we, four years from and, then. And the, prob- yes, the right. problem is, is that I didn't agree with it then. And I'll probably won't disagree with it in the future, but right now I agree with it. That's what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> is that to say that there's never a time where, it's not the solution. I can't honestly say that because I feel like that's honestly the solution right now. Yeah, tri- tribalism gets you somewhere sometimes, right? Like that—that's that, the point. And if there's a huge, huge danger, maybe it's useful. I am to Alan's statement as Rajiv is to pizza right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bonnie. I want to hear your this. I believe. Yay. Um. I, first, I feel like I should say I have a lot of beliefs that I don't necessarily think are true. Because okay, that I just should be hold a my beliefs part of the episode. I love very that. loosely, very mm-hmm. loosely. They change depending on new information, but I hold them with belief, you know, with conviction. So here's one that I'm 
holding right now? Distance learning is not as effective as in-person classroom learning. Agreed. Universally? Agreed. Universally. Disagree. Unless you have a really bad teacher. And so distance learning allows you to have some space for them. Hmm. That that's my reasoning, Alan. My, is that's why I disagree? Is because I think that unfortunately, in my experience, there's been a lot of bad teachers, and that are, you know, I can't 100 percent full be on full board with that. And okay, as someone who's teaching home right now, I'm am conflicted because I don't like it. <laughs> um, but yeah. In all seriousness, and this is just complete seriousness, uh, outside of being funny. I think there are people who are attracted to online platforms because in-person, quote-unquote, real-life stuff is so difficult for them for so many different reasons, whether it's physical or uh, psychological or all these different things. And they've always needed access, whether it's to places of of public gathering or education or even people playing video games and stuff. They feel like they're on the same footing with other people that they don't get in person. So I, I wonder sometimes if for those people... It is more effective to have an online platform. Than one, it is one of one of uh, one of my youth group kids is thriving right now because they are at home and they are not being bullied. They are learning more than they've ever learned. So th- yeah, there is some. But I think part of the the difficulty is we've are we've confined our imaginations to think of in person real life teaching as the the sort right. of industrial model of school, and that's not always. Right, the, totally. the models. You know, sometimes right. it's one on one. Let's talk. Let's talk more groups. about education, man. That's like that's that's great. So. trying to turn everything into a freaking <laughs> serious conversation. It's awesome. <laughs> no, leave it alone. Fantastic. Write it down it, and be quiet. The problem. Okay. Or Rajiv, Alan, yeah. Alan's that kid on the bus, man. <laughs> Rajiv just converted me. I believe Bonnie's thing is true because it's a failure of imagination for the in person meetings that we actually have. Like that's okay. I'm with you. Schooling, the way it's happening in the United States right now, is not education. And it's not because of teachers. It's because the circumstances that they're put in is really, really difficult. And especially right now during the pandemic, a huge shout out to teachers. Because I can't even imagine what it must be like to try to navigate this on dist- uh, this distance learning. I'm with you on that feels, one. It feels weird to have converted somebody. <laughs> I'm with you on that second statement. I'm there. I'm there on that one. Jeff, what's your statement? All right. So I'm debating. I came up with several statements and I don't know how, um, what's the word? Why am I missing the word? Just one. No, I don't know how to, to not be, uh, what's the word where you distance someone like you. Offensive. Build a wall. (laughs) Being a dick. (laughs) Thank you for all those colorful <laughs> antonyms for what I was uh, thinking about. I, I just don't know how uh, I sh- much distance I should put myself between you all and the listenership as a whole. So I know there's some here. So I'm going to go with one of my tried and true beliefs that is is, is uh, the wording of which was given to me by Kenji Lopez-Alt of Serious Eats, one of my food cooking gurus. And he says, which I... I believe, what is this? This, I believe, is that triangles taste better. (laughs) 
I actually, I, I'm with you on that, Jeff. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, I'm with you on yeah. that. I agree. I actually agree with you, that too. extra, like, what corner texture. Yeah, yeah, it does something. Think of all the wonderful food that is shaped in triangles. Pie, That's right. That's pizza. right. Have you read Flatlands? Mm-mm. No. That's another book that should go in there. It's all about, um, it's an, an analogy to geographical shapes and dimensions and triangles are a key character in that book so that's my statement triangles taste better so even, you walk into an architectural space that uses triangles and you're like mm, even, something good about this place <laughs> yeah alan that's what i mean <laughs> even even I now agree. hear me out even hear me out like i think i agree that's the weirdest i did not expect to that's I, and i just so i just had a bag of doritos yesterday so it's it's <laughs> that's definitely right. Like I bought some yesterday sitting in my cupboard. <laughs> next time, do this. I challenge you to do this. Is the next time you make a sandwich, instead of mm-hmm. cutting in half, cut it in triangles. It, for some reason, it tastes yeah, better. There's there's true. something about that shape that 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 makes your taste buds dance with I'm joy. Not, I'm not. I'm not going to try. It. Never mind. No, yes. no. I think it goes back to nurturing as as an infant, personally. You know what I mean? Why? Because my mom had pointy nipples. Like, why would? Why would? What about an infant <laughs> yeah, in triangles? Yes. Would be. I'm thinking of the early human psychology of the feeding. Like that's that's a that's a thing. You don't. No. You know. Because no. a close second you're a, shape. You're a, no. Yeah. No, you should no. just stop now. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, no, I think it's actually true, and I'm going to look up some psychological <laughs> oh, research on this. Yeah. I'm going to show you that my. Are opinion. we ready for the next? This I believe. <laughs> I think are we going to go another round? We're <laughs> Jeff, I could I could offer one more this I believe and then we could be done. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah. Sure. This I believe reality TV stars should not be taken seriously. 100% agree. Universally one true. Universally true in every context. Even more so the producers I don't care if you have doctor in front of your name, if you're on CBS <laughs> every day in the middle of the day and are trying to tell me something uh, as fact, I don't believe you. Well, what happens when a reality star becomes president? Right. I don't believe <laughs> yeah. That's called a nightmare. Right. And we've lived it. We are living in it. <laughs> All right. That was, that was fun. I'm, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm glad everyone, uh, Agreed, and I'm glad that Rajiv and I have restored our relationship. Um, it's <laughs> it was a good, it's a good episode. Everyone, we've we've done it. Any, yeah. Last thing for me to say is just what we were saying off air is that like every time we've been recording lately, I feel like I have so much more to think about and delve into. I'm just super grateful and appreciative of even being here. And definitely makes me a better moral, ethical, whatever you want to say, person to have conversations with you all or more interesting person. How about that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Same. I agree. I think you are a more interesting person. I was going to say, (laughs) (laughs) I felt like that's what everybody was agreeing to. (laughs) And on that, that'll do it for us this week. If you enjoy Irenacast and you would like to join the work that we are doing, please consider donating to our PayPal link, irenacast.com slash PayPal. Uh, We're committed to keeping the show for free for listeners, but there are costs involved and your financial support helps. Uh, That's irenacast.com slash PayPal. Uh, Irenacast is also a nonprofit organization, so your donations are tax deductible. 
And speaking of PayPal and our donors this week, we want to thank Lauren Moore for donating. We really appreciate your donation, and we thank you so much for listening. For information on other ways to partner with the show, you can go to irenacast.com slash support, and there are some other ways that you can support, including our merch and our Amazon affiliate link. You can also support the show by simply making sure you've subscribed to the show on whatever platform you listen to. And if it allows it, leave a rating and or review. We always appreciate hearing from you. So for this week, I'm Jeff. It's your boy, Alan. I'm Bonnie. I'm Casey. And this is Rajiv. <laughs> Thanks for joining the conversation. <laughs>